Hi, welcome to Neuroverse, a podcast hosted by Carolina and Clara, where we discuss all matters from neuroscience to philosophy and beyond. Today's episode is on science art. And to help us with this episode, um, we're in the presence of Adele Tilluin and Tyler Kaufman, who are this amazing science art duo called TACT. And now I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, uh, I'm Tyler Kaufman. I'm uh, the director of All the Parts Sound and Auditory. Uh, I'm Adele Tilluin, and I'm the visual director. And then together, uh, through debate, philosophy, exploration, create the concepts for the eventual projects. We have very different uh, specialties, and we work together uh, since now 2019 on different projects. Now uh, we are working more and more with scientists and labs, mm -hmm. but we began just as two friends who wanted to create something new. He was already a musician and I was already an, a visual artist. <laughs> when I met Tyler, we decided to do like more art experiences. I think that, you know, science is a form of creation, you know. That's why art is also necessary to science in a way because it also forms creativity and all creativity involves imagination, visualization. And so the process has a lot of parallels and yeah. um, our different background approaches. I, I mean, I started off as an audio engineer. I went to school for that producer, but I was also a journalist, which is meant to be, you know, you're supposed to observe you were an art historian and you were studying history and all these disciplines that were so separated for us when we were trying to create these artistic experiences, we want to also cross bound the different disciplinary forms. I never thought they were different. That's okay, <laughs> so for me, a scientist is an artist and mm. never accepts it fully, but he is an mm. artist. He has to visualize things that are abstract and to show them to the public so they would accept his theory. And an artist has a methodology, experiment just as a scientific. And for me, the dissociations of knowledge is is not very useful, actually. I think uh, merging knowledge is actually the way to create new links and to create innovation. Before the 17th century, uh, knowledge is not separated. Knowledge is just savant have knowledge and that's it. You have no physicist or no novelist there. They know everything. I think one of the greatest examples is Leonardo da Vinci, of course. Well, so historically, it's because of the birth of academias everywhere in the world between the 17th and 18th century, where we decided we had to divide knowledge. And I think it's very interesting because you can go deeper into these different disciplines. But I also think that is a little bit old school now mm. and that knowledge should be merged again separation is actually doing now more wrong than good I think when I was studying history so I went to that school called OSS uh, where you can do every social studies you want but we were lacking science <laughs> I remember hearing on your podcast your background in biochemistry yeah right uh, yeah. How do you how do you feel that relates to your more in study and neuroscience today? How that affects your perception of it and your approach to it? Do you but feel the way we do? Yeah, I I I do, and I I 
we recently released a podcast called Planes of um, Understanding and Science, where we do uh, talk a little bit about the different ways of thinking about science and touching on uh, also what Adele said about how the method to create art and the also creative and imaginative method of science, I do think they parallel a lot. But going back to biochemistry, yes, it's interesting. I, I think I came from the way that we think about biochemistry is very structural and it's very mechanistic. And then we, when you go into neuroscience, um, it employs so many more um, different ways of thinking. Like it can be molecular, it can be um, electrophysiological, it can be anatomical, it can be philosophical. And I do agree that initially, like, like you mentioned back in the 17th century, there was just philosophy. There was just the study of life, let's say, and now disciplines have segregated. And, and I do agree, we specialize a lot, but this cross-fertilization of topics is so important to help us be able to still think critically about science and art and, yeah. I can also definitely relate to the love for interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary um, approaches because that's actually the reason why I chose to study neuroscience in the first place. So I have a neuroscience background, but the reason I chose to do that at university was because I was better at science in general, but I really loved also social sciences and art and other subjects. And so I found neuroscience was the only option I had of a degree that could encapsulate like um, philosophy and psychology and biochemistry and like anatomy and all these different disciplines. Actually, I was interested uh, by the microscopy scale because of anthropology. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know if you know um, the mapping of dreams in the Aboriginal culture in Australia. So um, <laughs> for them, the time of dream is like the sacred time where they meet their ancestors and their divinities. And when they wake up, they do the, their, this beautiful form of art where they map uh, the, the peregrination they did during their dreams. And so it's an accumulation of uh, small elements that create a topography. And you never know which scale it is. Is it like uh -huh. stars and the infinite, or is it like cells? You can only see that a topography is always an accumulation of small elements that creates a whole. And the scales actually look alike so much, and you cannot see what scale it is. So I was really into this matter of the system which creates every scale, the, the big scale, like the stars and everything. So I totally understand how you have to use a discipline to be interested in the other. <laughs> so I guess my process was a bit different. Mine was yeah. more of, um, I, liked, I liked the process of how we create our projects. I liked the fact that we don't agree on much of anything. <laughs> yet together we're have to create something that we both agree with and then the process of working with these brilliant minds that turn our ideas into realities or shape or help teach us what is just a figure of our imagination and what can be done and then to learn from all these different artists who are called scientists you know Albert Einstein says of course right the greatest scientists are artists as well so to be able to collaborate with other artists that are scientific minds and what that gave to me was so much more interesting you know um, so much of art is considered just subjective interpretation and that's the prism that we look at art at and if we can combine that with 
these different studies and these different outlooks and these different propositions where, you know, with these hypotheses and so forth, that to me was much more fascinating, interesting. And then in the artistic side had much more of an emotional impact anyways. Yeah. So we've met like just at a party where we decided to debate. Ah, and perfect. <laughs> every project we did was debating first because as he said we don't agree on anything <laughs> so it's philosophical debate for hours sometimes days before we write anything that's amazing and, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and then we also have debates with the scientists now but yeah it, it always begin with debates with people who who don't agree to find like the compromise yeah the compromise is for us like finding how we will do the art (laughs) it's really a quest actually every day we have to like talk for hours before doing anything actually because every project we do now is using music visual uh, science Uh, artistic expression and we always wanted to be a journey and like an exploration Mm -hmm. so we never like just go for a topic and just do it it never happened (laughs) that's amazing I love that process I think it was this is probably the first time I've heard of a duo starting their projects by debating (laughs) extensively I I love that and the compromise I think yeah especially nowadays in society we can all be very much segregated in our own little pockets of thinking and just uh, agreeing with with basically mirror versions of ourselves I think it's really incredible how you manage to compromise in that way that's very admirable and I also really admire the emphasis you put on the process because when I was reflecting on science art in the past few days I kind of was thinking that the main similarities between science and art that enable them to be melded is the involvement of creativity and creation, as well as discovery and exploration, as which, as you just explained, is enabled by your debates. <laughs> Speaking of debates, um, we, we wanted to discuss um, a little bit about the importance of art and science as separate topics, as well as when you mix them together. And from my perspective, I think one of the most important and incredible aspects of art is that it's the main medium of communication between humans like you could argue almost that it's a way to cross epistemological barriers and it's a way to communicate with each other and and share ideas that you can't really do otherwise and the only way to communicate your subjective experience yes (laughs) whereas science is a very objective experience Uh that is shared between by knowledge between people i think one of our ways of doing that is to try to look at that subjective experience of artistic expression through like an objective theoretical framework. So we have a project called Micro Residence Quarantine, where we took the bacteria of my hand and we put the ba- took the bacteria of her hand, we put them in quarantine together, and we made a false reality TV show of who would win. So in one <laughs> sense, it's this artistic expression of seeing but then we're also studying what actually happens with our bacteria in these different formats whether it's antibiotics we did that in a lab we had scientists to guide us so we we did that with all the codes of approaching bacteria 
criteria, like every solution, everything was made by scientists. But we decided to project like a fake sociology on this bacteria, to project a fake identity, like with team leaders and they have a name, they have like an astrological sign, they have <laughs> everything you can and so, yeah, I think that's a good example of mixing that form of artistic communication and subjectivity with an actual study of what happens with our bacteria in quarantine, yeah. what's stronger, E. coli or coxie, you know what? So, yeah, this is a form of pedagogy that we really love because it is actually real knowledge on bacteria, mm -hmm. but the projection of affect like how you like or dislike this bacteria, this team leader with a name and identity is only human and emotional. Uh, you will like Samantha, you will hate Walter. This is your, your projection actually. And I think that you gain more information when you project your emotional state of mind on it. Pure abstract knowledge is very interesting, but when you can appropriate it, you really integrate it. And so we have a lot of projects like that. Obviously, we really think it's funny. <laughs> and we want to do a lot of episodes with the public invited to give their bacteria to compete against the winner and things like that. So yeah. um, we will love uh, to, to talk more about this project. But actually, a lot of our projects are like this. They use uh, very, very serious uh, theories and data but they also project uh, emotions and instinct and visceral things that are clearly artistic. Well, I think science is also sometimes emotional. And I think that a lot of time people think of science as theory and data and things that are very like um, very well designed <laughs> but actually I think it comes from a brain and the brain is never like that actually a brain is poetic a brain has uh, links and connections because of your own perception and when a scientist writes something I think it's never objective actually uh, it's a form of objectivity because your peers have to agree with you but your peers are also the producer of their time period and the producer of their area where they live and their own experience. And none of that is objective, actually. No one is objective. I don't think, well, you can have an objective language like math. Uh, the, the language is objective, but what we do with what you do with it is never objective. It's always subjective because it's made by a brain and a brain is never objective. Yeah. And <laughs> That's so interesting you say that because uh, we, we also do have an episode on data and how we interpret data and whether you can separate phenomenology from um, the, the your interpretation of the data. And, and we also just recorded an episode on subjectivity <laughs> and how so many thought processes, all thought processes are influenced by your emotional state in a particular time or context or memories being implemented. Mm -hmm. which which is yeah something so special about neuroscience as well because because it's about the brain which is about us and then we're studying it so we're also more in the system that we're studying yeah um and and you and you guys also said i remember you guys were talking about just so much of your memories based off space what's yeah. the yeah. spacing of that memory so if that's intuitive of how you're even exploring what's going around just a space how is there objectivity after that you know it's uh, it changes everything with our perception and our relationship with our memories 
And Thank that's you. also um, something I really like about your art is how interactive it is, mm -hmm. like how it's a whole sensorial experience. Also, we haven't mentioned yet that the reason we we knew about TACT was because um, both Caroline and I were at the Defense Forum, the European Neurosciences Annual Federation Conference. Uh, yeah, conference. <laughs> <laughs> and um, TACT performed the opening ceremony. Yeah. And it was like this amazing yeah audio visual experience yeah and it was so inspiring I think neuroscientists or all scientists can get so caught up in their own research that it can get very like mundane and you forget the big picture and why you're doing what you're doing yeah. and something like that just reminds you like how cool it is really yeah <laughs> it was honestly yeah. <laughs> incredible especially oh, the, the mixture of the audio and the visual like then, it, yeah. it took you out of your plane of reality and it, it like you said it really makes you stop and admire how beautiful science is and it's incredible that you communicated that so beautifully with your art and it like you said it was so inspiring yeah oh, thank so, you very uh, much no, no, totally agree on the the immersive experience has to come from different senses. And now we want to, to use all the senses. We want to use smells, we want to use touch, we want to use everything. We have um, this project called Le Tout, uh, which plays with your perception. Maybe you... Yeah, one aspect of the background conversation yeah. that we didn't quite go over, but just a couple sentences, yeah, which yeah. is a little bit of a different approach is, um, well, before starting with talked i used to be a journalist and i used to cover political movements i was jailed in north america and i would cover the military industrial complex i was these kind of very dark subjects and one thing i found is that it was kind of this vicious circle on the left at least in the us of intellectualism of they thought they were always holier than thou and kind of just focusing on the problems of the world and so i had that one aspect and i was a touring artist and one thing that drew me to incorporating science with art is that it's a lot about solutions, understanding, oh, what, what's going on with the brain? Why is it happening? What can we do to solve the problems? And combining that with art was very important to me to be able to have that kind of political ideology and a perspective that's not political, but more of solving yeah. Yeah. An example, you're talking about the fence form earlier. I, I mean, I was in Ukraine before, not this last war, but after the previous war. And I spent mm -hmm. a lot of time there and wrote about it and stuff like that. And I found more of a positive reaction of wearing a traditional Ukraine shirt. Second show, the second show, the defense forum. Not defense forum, but the jump defense evening where I had Ukrainians talk to me and say, oh, what's your relationship to Ukraine? And it wasn't even about the war. It wasn't about any of that. It was just the fact that I was wearing something traditional of theirs. While doing art on a stage. That was more powerful than me finding the facts. You know, I'm not saying one's more important than the other, but having that relationship with people on a positive basis was very interesting and i do think science art is able to do that yeah and also as you said like to have this interaction with scientists where we take what they do every day and we show them how cool it is <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah sometimes we need a little uh, reminder yeah because uh, we don't know exactly every scientific details about the imagery we use but we see the poetry in it, we see the beauty in it. And just 
looking at this data in that way is renewing this data too. Because scientific data is just proving a theory most of the time, but it has it is an image and an image is never just for one purpose because you can project on it. Tyler in his music, he uses sounds we recorded in a lab uh, because we find it just poetic. Yeah, for the opening sound that you guys heard, the first half of uh, our performance was all sounds I personally recorded of just lab equipment and then editing it and modulating it and turning it into what we think sounds like regular drums or percussion and then using that. That's yeah, so it is a, yeah. a way to take the everyday life of a scientist <laughs> yeah. and turn it into like something, yeah, beautiful. It is, I know beauty is now uh, an insult for artists, but I think it's the <laughs> very important. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, both of your backgrounds, also especially Tyler's and this desire to come up with solutions and also communicate, it now kind of makes sense and explains a little bit your methodology and your approach of coming from different perspectives and having this determination to meet in the middle and then make something incredible out of it. It's really admirable. Oh, thank you. So you were talking about your two. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So the two is based off Diderot's, the quote. Yeah, so... You, you have it memorized, even. Yeah, but it. it's in French. I'm you can say it in French. Yeah, please. we'd love to hear yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. So Denis Diderot, I don't know if you know him very well. He was a French philosopher, creator of the Encyclopedia in France. So the, the quote is, Tous les êtres circulent les uns dans les autres. Tout est en influx perpétuel. Tout animal est plus ou moins homme. Tout minéral est plus ou moins plante. Toute plante est plus ou moins animale. Il n'y a qu'un seul individu, c'est le tout. Naître, vivre et passer, c'est changer de forme. Translation is all beings circulate within each other. Everything is in perpetual flux. Every animal is more or less man. Every mineral is more or less plant. Every plant is more or less animal. There is only one individual. It is the tout. To be born, to live and to pass is to change form. And so this guy, he knew all that from instinct. It was like 18th century, like, but he was such an observer of nature that he understood that. It sounds also very spiritual and very resonant oh. with many traditional beliefs, including like Taoism or like Absolutely. traditional Hinduism, like Vedic philosophy. He talks quite a lot about that. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> so we loved that quote and we decided we wanted to pay homage to that quote by doing an art piece where uh, I created a head composed of hundreds of different elements, minerals, animals, uh, every element I could find that was made by, by nature or transformed by humans, like glass, which is like sand, but transformed <laughs> with this head, which is like the persona of Le Tout, uh, we decided to have a debate with it. Uh well, with it, we're trying to use as many senses as possible. And so there's this company um, called Ultraleap in England, actually, and they create these haptic feedback modules in which we're programming an interactivity with the bus in which what this does, there's sound waves. And so in the air, you can feel different pressure senses and you can create shapes. So you can literally feel different forms on your hand without actually seeing anything. So it's this whole visual haptic feedback interpretation and depending on how you move it and how you interact with it 
the voice of the bus will move around in the room and it will be a call and response and a conversation that you'll be able to have. So it's like Braille, but you're not reading it, you're talking with it. <laughs> and he is answering with his voice that we created, Tyler created. <laughs> yeah, so it is a, a game with all your senses and your per perception on biodiversity and how you are linked to it. And so you become a part of Le Tout to give it life. So you have to like accept your link to this biodiversity and play with it. Yeah, yeah. We're trying with that one. We really try to study uh, anthrop anthropocentrism, <laughs> and that was one thing with Diderot that he talked about a lot. Is um, it's the ego that defines ourselves of how we look at nature instead of understanding that nature in itself is enough you know into the study and yeah, the that you don't have to project your human image to nature to understand it you can just understand it as it is it's definitely a human thing to to believe that we are not nature like there's a dissociation between humans and nature and mm -hmm. that realization that you're in it you're part of it can definitely shape your ego and your sense of self so much mm -hmm. So yeah, that's the two. It's coming soon. It's amazing. <laughs> so exciting. Yeah. Do you have a release date or an idea? Uh, yeah, we What's... are showing it at the Salon d'Automne in France uh, in October. I have a question for uh, you both as neuroscientists. What is your <laughs> yeah. view of, because I know there's so much pseudoscience, but of like binaural beats and what if what you believe in them? Yeah, okay so, <laughs> so as we know like the brain and wit uh emits certain brain wave frequencies mm. and the idea is that with binaural beats if you send one frequency to one ear and another one very similar to the other your brain will automatically subtract it create a new frequency that then tries to mimic and so there's mm. these studies that said that if you're trying to mimic these frequencies you can alter the brain and alter their perception of what's going on Um, and depending, you know, if there's the delta, theta, alpha, beta, and gamma, 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 gamma. gamma. <laughs> and, and depending on which uh, frequency your brain is emitting from the phantom frequency that it creates, because of course we can't hear those frequencies, if that can actually change or if it's illusionary. That's okay. such an interesting question. I think we we actually don't have enough neuroscientific knowledge about this specific topic to say if okay. scientifically it works in this way. But it did remind me of predictive coding, yeah. which we've talked about a lot. So have you heard of predictive coding? A little. Predictive coding is it's due with the way that we perceive the world. So external sensory information goes in our brain. So for example, visual stimuli goes into the eye, through the visual cortex, thalamus, etc. And then our brain makes a guess of what it's looking at. And that's the contextual information. And then whether it gets it right, or whether it gets it wrong, that's the predictive error. When there's more predictive error, there's an increase in gamma wave activity. And if there's less, there's a decrease. So we don't know whether, like you mentioned, these specific waves can affect Uh, for example, the gamma waves and therefore the way predictive error works. But I guess that's a study for someone to conduct. <laughs> It reminded me of that because of the intertime difference between the beats reaching both of your ears. But I also know that in auditory neuroscience, it's not 100% known 
how information is actually processed in humans, because a lot of studies haven't been done in humans, and how sound is integrated from both ears is quite a controversial topic. But the fact that it may relate to, like, obviously then there are brain waves, which I think is like kind of a separate topic because that has to do with neuronal activity and neurons firing at specific frequencies at the network level. It's interesting, this link between the frequency of sound and then the inter-processing that occurs, like the auditory processing and predictive coding, perhaps, and then the transformation potentially into network rhythms within the brain and maybe synchronizing ourselves to and our brains to the world yeah didn't you talk a, bit, a little bit about that in noise ah yes and then there's also noise in the brain which isn't actual noise but it's the spontaneous and random activity of neurons which creates like a background noise in neuronal activity and this is increasingly thought to influence how we perceive the world again linked to predictive coding because the natural baseline state of our brain which is defined by noise can influence how we then integrate new information and that theoretically should have a huge role in our perceptual Perception. experiences in the world yeah so so the baseline level of your noise is almost like a platform for like external sensory experiences to land on yeah and uh, yeah like you said uh, affect the way that we perceive the world we have a project called scientific emotions and for mm -hmm. it i included binaural beats and i honestly thought it was like the hippie thing, you know, of yoga where they give you a rock and they say you'll have enlightenment, you know. <laughs> I didn't know if it was. And so then I was actually reading different studies and seeing, okay, well, what what is related to it? And then for frequency ranges, when there's overtones, all of a sudden you're changing even what the wavelengths are. So can you truly alter perceptions and experiences? Either way, I did include it and the results have been outstanding. And of course, there's a bunch of different reasons, but we did notice like if you put headphones, because that you can actually hear and create the phantom frequency, the illusion of it that you can't really do with speakers, depending on the speaker system. We did it in Dubai, France, LA, and the results, of course, it has to do with the composition and the visuals that she shows. But now I'm becoming more and more of a believer of it working that's what I was very curious if it's just my perception of trying it out and seeing it do well or if there's actual what yeah, your guys' so perception of scientific emotions is. because he talked directly about like a very specific part but the idea was to express emotions with what science give us as a medium so musically he used these frequencies included in the music but he created uh, composition it's really a music that he created it's not sounds or just frequencies it's a real artistic composition in which they are included and i created these videos that um, are made from scientific imagery so we asked scientists to explain to us what is happening during different state of mind in biochemically <laughs> into our body and but also psychologically everything and we had this if you want uh, this mathematical equation of what is happening in your body during like anger or like 
happiness and things like that. And then we did our own interpretation of it. The scientific imagery was made by scientists for this project or because they had it and it made them think of it. So it can be also just links from imagination, actually, and just poetry. It is really an artistic interpretation. But when we tested it on the public, we had amazing reactions, people crying, people getting very angry. So one example that like particularly touched me is we have one emotion that's called attachment and a person after viewing it was like you know I don't understand the music is not what I would view as attachment and the visuals don't really touch me meanwhile they didn't realize they had like a tear coming down their face wow and so it was things (laughs) like that that made me think like yeah okay what what else is happening in terms of the brain and is it really altering their perception of what's going on. Yeah, and on the same video, we had extreme reactions. Like uh, on Rage, we had that man who came to me saying, it's obviously made by a woman. It's not Rage, it's like your little Rage. And I was like, okay, (laughs) fair enough. This woman who lived the war in Congo, who just teared up saying, how can you show me this? This is my experience at war and I cannot, like, I cannot tolerate that. And she was so mad. And we had them like in 10 minutes. Within a 10 minute <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> this is a great demonstration of what you've been saying that scientists are artists. Well, I can see clearly now that artists such as yourselves are scientists. Yes. I was... Or I suppose, especially as science artists, you mm-hmm. are both scientists and artists. Yeah. <laughs> but... Because that in itself could almost be a scientific it is study. An experiment. Yeah. yeah. You're Absolutely. testing out this same component on several different people and getting several different reactions. Yeah. yeah. A perfect example as well of subjective experience. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast this has been the most incredible conversation definitely it's been a huge pleasure and such an interesting topic and so interesting to hear about your different backgrounds we're very much looking forward to seeing all the future art and we definitely hope to have you on the podcast again more than present we love your podcast truly. yeah thank you